0: (laughs) Hey, good morning. She has a great voice, too. She was singing in my ear. I loved it. Um, It's good to be here today, and it's good to see so many smiling and beautiful faces. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And so it is, it is indeed a great honor and a privilege to be here today and to uh, do a little bit of preaching. Hopefully, I won't preach too long, but I hadn't preached in a while, so we'll see, we'll see. Uh, as Brother Faroe read the text, our text is from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. And uh, I would like to just read it again for reference. The Apostle Paul says, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold." Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in these few moments, I pray that you will come and be with us. We pray for your presence. And Lord, we know that we are unworthy, and we know that we have sinned and come short of your glory, but we know that you are a God of love that continues to call and to beckon us to come to you. So on this day, O Lord, we come to you and we pray that you will give us hearts and ears to hear your word and that the truth spoken today will be driven deep into our hearts. We pray for this church, O God, that you will continue to make her glorious, continue to guide Providence Baptist Church, continue to lift her up as a pillar of truth, as a pillar of love, as a church of grace and mercy. We thank you, O God, for these moments. Pray that you will be with my tongue as I speak and give me a heart that calls and reaches out to you in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I, I entitled this, The Marks of a True Minister, or The Marks of True Ministry. And so Paul's aim and focus in chapter 5 and into chapter 6 is the ministry of reconciliation, and particularly the work of the ministry. In chapter 5, he says some amazing things. He declares in verse 10 that knowing that all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to God. In light of that, he says in verse 11, that judgment is coming, and that knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And in persuading men, we realize that the love of Christ compels us to share this message of reconciliation with the world. Paul labors to give us the clear, a clear presentation of the gospel this message that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, that old things have passed away and all things have become new. And the way this has all come about is because God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or charging their trespasses to them. Paul then tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ and it is God that is making his appeal through us. As ambassadors, he implores us to be reconciled to God because Jesus has accomplished salvation by the sacrifice of himself. He has made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so now moving into chapter 6, he says some things that are quite amazing, some things that need to be said. Paul's plea here is that it is not just, it is not enough to just proclaim the gospel as Christians. We must also represent the gospel and represent that ministry well. And so he sets out for us to understand what are the marks of the apostles' ministry. And so the first thing we see is that in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter one, we see that in being effective ministers, and being effective in our ministry, we must realize that we are working together with God. He says, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So immediately, we see this amazing thing of a partnership with God. So remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us that we are ambassadors for God. And now in chapter 6, he says we are partners with God ambassadors. And remember, an ambassador is one who represents another. We represent him by taking the message of the gospel and taking, taking the message exactly as he has prescribed it to us, not changing it and declaring it to the world. But Paul goes a step further and he says, we are also partners with God, partners with God. Now, this blows my mind, the God of the universe, the God of eternity, the God, the holy God, the righteous God, the eternal God calls us to be partners, to work alongside with him. That's amazing. And that should blow your minds as well. To be able to come alongside with God, to be able to come alongside with God and his plans His goals, his mission, his inheritance to take part in the greatest mission that the world will ever see. He calls us partners. This statement is amazing because God doesn't need us as partners. He doesn't need us as his fellow workers. He can do everything by himself. He did not need the apostles, he he does not need his ministers, he does not need us. But he still says that he he, he gives us this ability, he gives us this privilege to partner and to work with him. If Christ has died for you, if he has been raised, if he has given you his spirit, if he has given you life, I ask the question today, will you work with him? If you are a Christian here today, will you work with him? I bid you, church, to take up your mantle, your God-given rights, and work with and for God. This is a great privilege. And so that's how Paul sets up these next few verses. Remember, he says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He goes on and he says, as workers, Paul pleads with the Corinthians not to receive this grace of God in vain, not to take it for granted. Why does he say that? Because now is the acceptable time of salvation, because now is the day of salvation. This is our business, church. This is our work. It is the salvation of men's souls. It is the salvation of our souls. This is our primary task. This is our primary honor to work on behalf of God, to bring about the salvation of men's souls. It seems from the text that the Corinthians are starting to forget this. That is why he says, do not do these things in vain. Maybe they've gotten wrapped up in other matters and have lost the simplicity that was in Christ and other things have taken greater importance in our lives. Perhaps some were not even saved as we see in 1 Corinthians, where you see the sexual immorality in the church and the defiling, the defiling things that are going on in the church. Maybe it's because they're fighting and fighting amongst each other about who is the greatest. Is it, Paul, is it Apollos? Is it Cephas? And they're arguing and taking each other to court. Maybe these are the things that Paul has in mind. Maybe they had taken their eyes off the grace of God and the beauty of salvation, first for themselves and for those around them. And so Providence, I stopped by to tell you and to remind you that there's nothing bigger than salvation. Nothing in this world is greater than salvation. Nothing, not our socioeconomic status, not us climbing the social ladders of society, not our political parties, not our political leanings, not our freedoms, not our rights, not even in preserving the American way of life. Nothing is greater than our salvation. And as our Lord said, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? So now is the time, the apostle tells us. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, but today. And so Paul is able to strive always to keep his conscience clear before God and before man and to stay focused on the task at hand. He goes on in verse 3 and he says, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. I believe Paul meant that. We live in turbulent and combative times. It seems as if everyone is on edge and can be set off at any given moment. People have said things in this political climate that have made me scratch my head, and I'm sure you as well, and wonder, do we even know God at all? Do we even care about what people think about the church? The visual reactions that I've seen in conversations and on social media are really social media are really quite unbelievable. It seems that being offensive is now all of a sudden this popular idea that being crass and pessimistic and snarky and rude, calling people names, is the, is the way of the world now. And Paul says, no, he says, I, I do nothing to offend my fellow man. So here we see a man, the Apostle Paul, who is not giving any offense or stumbling block, and, and he's put nothing in anyone's way. I like that word anyone, because that includes everybody that's around us, whether black, white, poor, rich, other cultures, other people groups, other denominations, the saved, the unsaved. He puts nothing in anyone's way. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, he says, but we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hindering the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what was the obstacle in that situation? If you remember, was it something evil or sinful? No, it was Paul. Paul had the liberty of receiving for his labor. Remember, as a minister, he had a right to receive wages for his work. He goes on in that chapter and he says, don't you know that those who serve in the temple, get their food from the temple? and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But in genuine love, the apostle says, I will give up my rights to these things as to not hinder the ministry. To put his rights and his freedoms aside, he goes on and he says, though I am free, and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like the ones under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. He says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul was guided by the principle of putting his rights and his desires to the side his freedoms, whatever it may be, to see men and women, boys and girls, saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We put no obstacle in anyone's way. Anyone. He goes on and he says, as, but, as, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. This word commend means to present or introduce Paul says, allow me to introduce myself to you, basically. He says, I'm a solid, I'm solid. That's what he's getting ready to tell. He says, I'm solid, you know? I like that. Solid as a rock, right? There's no fault in me. What a bold thing to say. There's nothing in me. And Paul, of course, is not bragging or boasting in what he's about to say next because he has sufficiently proven to the Corinthians that all things come from God. So what I'm about to say next is not a bragging or a boasting thing because God has done this for me and in me. Remember the text that says, what do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, then why do you boast? So this is not a boasting or a bragging thing for Paul. This was his way of life. And he had a purpose in the things that he did and the things that he said. We look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? There's that word commend. Or are we beginning to prove ourselves again? Seems like he was always trying to prove himself. Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendations to you or from you? And watch this. He says, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, not, excuse me, the result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. So another way of saying that is Paul's ministry. He could commend it it and prove it because the proof was in the pudding. He had this church here who he was talking to, and he had seen the fruits of his labor. He says, check my work, check my resume, check my track record. God had blessed his work. Why? Because he had become all things to all men, and he was willing to put his pride aside, his rights aside, for the fruit and the labor of the work. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, I'm just building the case here that this is, a, this is a common recurrence with the Apostle Paul. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, he says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone. There's that word everyone again. To everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So the Apostle Paul took this very seriously. He took the word of God very seriously. He took his doctrine very seriously. He took his life very seriously. And that's what made his ministry effective. And so as we move on, we see Paul starts to move in to discuss his character. And character is is so important in ministry. It's, It's really everything, in a sense. Sure, you can preach. Anybody can preach. Anybody can teach. But is your character right? Is your mindset right? Is your love right? Is your heart right? So, beloved, we must be excellent in everything we do. God calls us to be excellent, not to please people, but to please God and to glorify God. So, he goes on and he enters into some specific ways that he proves himself. And as I stated, in short, it's his character. And so looking in verse 4, he says, rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. He says, in great endurance, in troubles and hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, and hard work, sleepless nights, and in hunger. So in this first group of, his character tra- of Paul's character traits, and they should be our, our character traits as well, we see this thing of endurance. We see this thing of perseverance. And Paul, he endured trials of a general nature in in those first three. They were trials of troubles and hardships and distresses. A lot of things that we can relate to. We've been through a rough 2020 and a rough last four years and a rough even this year. And some of you right now are experiencing things that you don't even know if you're going to be able to make it. And the Apostle Paul tells you that he was there. He has experienced hardships and troubles and distresses that were unbelievable. Sickness has hit this church. Death has hit this church. Job loss has hit this church. Loss of health has hit this church, demonic activity has hit this church, how will you respond? Will you endure? Will you make it? Will you stand strong? Will you stand firm? Or will we respond in lack of faith and lose our joy and lose our hope Paul endured, and the God that allowed Paul to endure will allow you to endure as well. Paul experienced sufferings inflicted by other people, beatings, imprisonments, and riots, and all the while he endured and remained faithful to the cause of Christ. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Now, it's not lost on me that Paul, who had an extraordinary conversion, an extraordinary calling, also experienced extraordinary sufferings and torment. But the same God that gave him the grace to endure, will give you that same grace to endure as well. And so, I understand we are not the, I am not the great Paul the Apostle. I'm just a regular ordinary man. And the same goes for you all as well. I've never been beaten or imprisoned or inflicted in such a way to the same degree as the Apostle. But God still bids me and he still bids you to endure whatever you are going through right now with the same amount of patience that the Apostle Paul did. Barclay says it like this. He says, the ancient Greek word for patience is hupomone. And it does not describe the frame of mind which can sit down with folded hands and bowed head and let a torrent of trouble seep over over it in a passive resignation. But it describes the ability to bear things, watch this, To bear things in such a triumphant way that it transfigures them. To bear things in such a triumphant way that it transfigures you. Oh, I mean, this is it, right? And this is what the Holy Spirit can do for us. And people will look at you and say, how in the world are they getting through this? How in the world can they still smile? How in the world can they still care? How in the world can they still get up in the morning and go to work through all their tears and sorrows and discomforts? How in the world are they doing this? If we want our ministries to be effective, we must show this to the world. This is this supernatural thing that God gives us. It's the way that we handle our trials and our difficulties that makes us special. It makes us children of the Most High God. You see, Paul knew something about this. He he, he had a rock, right? He had a rock. He had a hope that was built on something. He knew Jesus Christ. He had encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And from that very moment, he knew that this God was able to keep him from falling. He knew that this God was going to keep him from whatever he may experience. He knew that the blood of Jesus had washed over him. He knew that the darkness, that even in the darkness, and when he had frowns and scowls of those around him, he had an unchanging God. In every high and stormy day, he had an anchor that would hold. And then Paul even had this self-inflicted hardship, right? These are things that he put upon himself. It says, in hard work, Paul just would flat out outwork everybody. Will we do that? Will we outwork everybody? He worked harder than every other apostle, in my opinion. But remember, it was God who was working in him to will and to do of his good pleasure. He he worked harder. He didn't sleep. He hungered. He thirsted. It is again it is not lost on me that Paul the apostle and the other apostles were called to endure things that we will never be will never have to endure. Think about what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 9 verse 16. He says, "For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. But we, we are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the earth the refuse of all things. He goes on in verse 14 and he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Jesus through the gospel. I urge you, then be imitators of me. So even in all of Paul's and on Paul's, we weren't on Paul's level, but even in that, Paul calls us to endure and be imitators of him as well. He gave himself fully to the work of the Lord because he knew his labor would not be in vain. We are not called to be like the apostle, but we are called to imitate him. Will you do that? Paul continues his resume. He says, so... Uh, By purity and knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the left hand and on the right. And these are basically spiritual graces that were given to the Apostle Paul. And these are straightforward, and for the sake of time, I wish I could go through them all. But for the sake of time, let's just hit on them and think on them and let them go through our hearts and our minds. These are the things that will make your ministry effective. He says, by purity. And that word purity means pure. It means exactly what what you think it means. Freedom from immorality, especially of the sexual nature purity in mind, body, and soul, purity in your speech, purity in your life, purity in your faith, purity in moral uprightness. He says long-suffering and patience, the ability to deal with difficult people. And I work in corporate America, so I get it. it. Difficult people are all around us. And so Paul calls us to have patience to deal with difficult people. Why? Because this makes us effective by kindness. So just a a simple smile, a simple gesture of generosity to show people sympathy, to care by the Holy Spirit. And this is the big one, right? Like, I feel like Paul was... He was talking about these purity, long-suffering, kindness, and he wants us to know, wait a minute, this is the Holy Spirit's work. He, He can't get far and just, oh, no, I'm not going to boast. It's the Holy Spirit. And so you must lean on the Holy Spirit to be pure. You must lean on the Holy Spirit to be kind. You must lean on the Holy Spirit to love, to have a sincere love, a special kind of love, that agape love. To want the good for all mankind. Regardless of if you disagree with them, regardless of if they are, if they slander your name, regardless of if they cuss you out, if they're mean to you, to love them, to love our enemies, as our Lord said. And then he says the word of truth, or this thing of knowledge. And this is this is the gospel itself. This is that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 type gospel. It's not just the entire book of the Bible that, you know, you understand Genesis and we get into eschatology and the deep things of God. He says, no, an effective ministry knows the gospel and puts the gospel at the forefront. That can say that Jesus died for all men, that Jesus rose again, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But God has raised us up that calls men to repent and to put their faith in Jesus Christ. That message, that word of truth, that bid men to come and be saved. And then again, he says, the power of God. He couldn't get too far away again. Sincere love and truth by the power of God, by the Holy Spirit. What do you need to be an effective minister? To be an effective mother, to be an effective father, to be an effective co-worker, to be an effective preacher, to be an effective evangelist, to be an effective entrepreneur. The power of God. He says, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. As he preached the gospel, the Apostle Paul would rely heavily on the Holy Spirit to do the work and to drive the word of God into men's hearts. He says in verse 5 that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He relied on the power of God, not on trickery, not on lights, not on amusement, but on the power of God to break men's hearts. He was not ashamed of the gospel of God, for he knew that it was the power of God unto salvation. He goes on and he talks about these weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. And I, I'm always struck with the Apostle Paul because he has this incredible sense to weave other books of the Bible and to have these consistent themes flow throughout all of his letters. And this is one, because as soon as you read this, if you're a, if you're a stud- student of the Bible, I know what comes to mind, right? Right? Ephesians chapter 6, and he's weaving this idea of taking on the whole armor of God. Right? Let's read it. He says, Wherefore, taking unto the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in this evil day, and having done all to stand, to stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on you the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and taking on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so Paul says, in order to be an effective minister, you've got to have some equipment, right? He says, you've got to have warfare in mind because it is coming. Yes, you need to be pure and kind and loving and sincere, And be able to endure trials. But you also have to be ready for when the enemy is ready to attack. And he says we have to have these offensive weapons and these defensive weapons. The sword, which is the word of God. And the shield of faith in the other hand. Ready to do battle with your God. Next in verse 8. We see the conflicting reactions and reports by others toward the apostle. And this is so important for us to grasp because this is what it is, right? Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, there will be people that cannot stand you, that seek to dishonor your name, that seek to dishonor this church. Be ready for it. Do not be discouraged by it. There will be people that will slander your name. There will be people that will honor you as well. And the point here is that people will talk about you to your face, and then they'll slander you behind your back as well, right? And then there will be others that will honor you to your face, and then they will praise you behind your back. And so the true minister and the true ministry will be honored and praised by God and by fellow believers, and then dishonored and scorned and slandered, slandered by unbelievers. It says, we are treated, he goes on and he says, we are treated as imposters and yet true. Paul received negativity from all sides, from Jews and Gentiles, from the Romans, from those in power, from those that didn't have any power. He had false reports and false prophets that he had to fight against. And I stopped by to tell you, I said, don't get discouraged. Imitate the Apostle Paul. Let it roll off your back when people talk about you. You stay focused on what you're supposed to be doing. Because ultimately, you only have one person to please, and that is God Almighty. There's an audience of one. So stay focused. If God is pleased and God is smiling on you, what else do you really need? That's all that matters. We don't live for the praise and honor of men. We don't live to be popular or to be big and to have the biggest church and the biggest ministries. We live to honor and to glorify our God. By preaching his gospel, he goes on and he says, We are unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold, we live. As unknown and yet well known. That word unknown is of no consequence, of unreported, unnoticed, invisible in a sense, unwanted. I think of one of my favorite preachers, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He had the opportunity to be one of the greatest doctors in England, in Wales, I believe it was. And, you know, he had a brilliant mind. And he was going to this prestigious medical school. And then he was saved and the Lord impressed upon him that I don't want you to do this. And he fought with it. He fought with it for a long time. He didn't want to be, he didn't want to enter into the unknown, right? He wanted that prestige. But eventually he did, and he became unknown, but yet he became known to God and to those that mattered. And he went and pastored a little small church of 20 in, in, inconsequential people. But he's my favorite preacher, so he's known where it matters. If he would have gone and become a medical doctor, who knows if we would even know who he was. And his goal wasn't to become known, his goal was to honor God and to sacrifice everything that he had went to school for and to enter into the ministry and give his life to a people that didn't care. That's what it means. Well known and living. Never struggle to be known, just be faithful. Be faithful in the small things. Be faithful in the things that the Apostle Paul is telling us here. Live your life in the presence of God and by the power of God, and he will honor you. When no one else notices, God will honor you. When no one else seems to care, God will honor you. Go on, go forth, honor the Lord. Be true to the Lord, and he will be true to you. Don't seek out suffering. but if suffering should come, endure. As the Apostle Peter says, do not fear their threats. Threats will come. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, rever Christ, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asked you to give the reason for the hope. That is within you. But do this with gentleness and with respect, keeping a clear conscience, offending no one, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is, God, if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. For in doing so you will be like the Lord Jesus Christ, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Paul and the apostles followed the Lord into battle. Will we do the same? Will you take up your banner and carry it forward? Or will you succumb to this world's delusions and distractions that seek to pull you away from the Lord? So, what makes us different? What commends our ministry? Enduring trials and hardships, purity, the knowledge of the gospel, patience, kindness, genuine love, the power of God and the Holy Spirit, and our weapons of spiritual warfare. This wasn't in my text, but I love the way that the Apostle Paul leaves this section as, I, as he closes this section. Then I'll go to my seat. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children. The apostle, he was, he was such the father. He says, he, he tells him, he says, widen your hearts. Make your hearts big. You will need them to be big. Ask God to widen your hearts to love, to be pure, to be patient. Oh, you gotta have some big hearts in this world. Go on and labor, spend and be spent. Go labor on, spend and be spent. Thy joy to do the Father's will It is the way the master went. Should not the servant tread it still? Press on, faint not, keep watch and pray. Be wise, the erring soul to win. Go forth into the world's highway. Compel the wanderer to come in. Press on, and in thy work rejoice. For work comes rest, the prize thus won. Soon shalt thou thou hear the master's voice, the midnight cry, behold, I come. God bless you.